they're apparently supposed to say rhubarb because that sounds just like a general sort of hubbub. It doesn't sound like you're saying any particular word if you say rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Ryan Clark, what's your opinion on rhubarb? <laughs> I like strawberry rhubarb pie. I don't think I've eaten rhubarb in any other fashion. Is there any type of pie you don't like? I'm a pie person. I like most pies. I don't really like cakes and stuff that much. Interesting. I'm more of a cake over pie guy. Uh, huh. have been my whole life. I mean, I like pie. Uh, savory pies are delicious. Um, but they don't call it a birthday pie. It's usually a birthday cake. <laughs> yeah, well, at my birthdays, I usually have a birthday pie with a candle in it. What was your last uh, birthday pie? That's a good question. It was probably blueberry or apple. I don't remember exactly, but those are my two favorite pies. Uh, what's your opinion on savory pies? They're the best. You mean like meat pies and stuff? Oh, man, yeah. If all I could... If I could just eat nothing but pies for my whole life, that'd be great. Are you aware of that restaurant in Seattle that only serves meat pies and uh, sweet pies? No. Well, there's one in Vancouver called Aphrodite that does really good both meat and sweet pies. They have really good turkey pies and stuff. Um, A meat pie that I enjoyed that was a little bit under my radar was a seafood pie um, from Seven Seas. They do like a, a tuna meat pie. As well as, I mean, it's not really a pie, but they do like a salmon phyllo pastry. Have you had uh, seafood pies? No, that's news to me. Sounds good. I do like seafood stuff. Um, where are the best pies in Vancouver? My mom's house, but Aphrodite, I think, is probably my favorite place where you can go and buy pies. But there's also, um, uh, well, for dessert stuff, do you ever go to True Confections? It's a good place. They've got a lot of cakey things like that. But I, for some reason, when I go there, I get trifle, which is kind of cakey in some ways, but more fruity. I probably, I like fruity stuff for desserts. Um, I, I like uh, True Confections. I, I'm more of a, a sweet revenge yeah, guy. It's, it's super cute. Hmm. Like, like there's like a couch. See, if you have somebody you want to sit on a couch with and have have, have dessert, it's uh, pretty good on, on Main Street. Huh. Yeah, that sounds nice. Um, do you bake pies yourself? Uh, when I was a kid, I used to want to help my mom all the time, and she would like cut off a little piece of dough so that I would have like a little tiny pie that I would make but uh, not so much since then my wife fortunately has learned from my mom and her mom how to make pies so she does that and then we get them from Aphrodite uh, what was the point in you and your wife's relationship where she made a pie <laughs> I think it was a bit uh, like after we got married I think she she like took some time to like hang out with my mom and do pastries, pastry stuff to learn how my mom does it because her mom makes great pies too but uh, my mom, I don't know, it's like one of her big specialties so yeah she took she took some time after we got married to do that for me I think it was for like Father's Day or my birthday or something to, to surprise me, it was good What was the uh, pie situation at the wedding? That's a good, yeah I don't think we had any we just had the cake so a very important part of your life and, and cementing the relationship between you and your wife, you had cake instead of pie. <laughs> yeah, I was more concerned about the food. Like, we had sushi and stuff at our wedding, so yeah, the regular, like, roast beef or whatever that people have, or prime rib, and but we also had sushi, so I, I don't know, I was more concerned about that. Was, was there, like, a shelf life concern about doing sushi at a wedding? It was an outdoor wedding. Like, I feel like uh, sushi might be a bit tricky to cater like that in a long, long time frame. It was at a pretty fancy place. It was at Brock, Brock House. You know where that is? It, so it, uh, they made it like just before the whole thing started, right? So it wasn't hanging around too long. Uh, I like the uh, links between our lives that I'm discovering. Um, 
my friend at a at a wedding at Brockton House. It was very nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was really good. Yeah, the, the sushi went fast, especially like the the uh, nigiri and stuff like that. So yeah, it definitely was not not sitting around long. Um, so what's what's your uh, go-to favorite sushi? Like a sushi restaurant or type of sushi? yeah type of sushi. Like what, like if you're at a place you like, what do you order, and what's a place you do to test? Like when I'm at a Japanese restaurant, I, I tend to test uh, if I don't trust it. I'm gonna order something safe. I'm not gonna stray too far. Yeah, uh, I usually get the same stuff every time. Like tuna and salmon nigiri, like wild salmon. Um, and then I like tempura stuff. Rolls that have tempura in them are good. Avocado stuff. I always get tsunamona salad and gomae and uh, miso soup. And you get a million things. I always eat way too much. Yeah, so all solid choices. Um, yeah, wild salmon. Have you been able to go back to regular salmon after having wild salmon sushi? No, it's gross. It looks gross and it tastes gross. Don't eat it. <laughs> um, and uh, what type of tsunamono? Is it ebi? Uh, either ebi or veggie. We actually these days get veggie because our kids don't like the the, the uh, ebi stuff, and also they just like eating the cucumber out of it. So, uh, do you feel like Japanese restaurants are good for eating with kids, given the uh, kind of rationed out uh, pieces? Once you get to the point where they're not as messy, because I don't know, using chopsticks and stuff, or I don't want them to use their hands, so they're good enough to use chopsticks now for the most part. So. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. The smaller bite-sized things, but but actually, we still cut up the rolls for the kids because if you actually had like a an avocado roll and gave it to them, they could choke on it, right? So we still cut them up. Um, did you have them train to use chopsticks with those uh, children's chopsticks? Yeah, they still use the ones like that have like a hinge at the top. That's what they use. Where'd you get them? I don't know. My wife got them from somewhere. You can also just make them out of regular chopsticks and elastic band, and you use like. I've seen people do that in, in the in the actual restaurants. You just take that paper that the chopsticks comes in and use that as like a wedge. Um, what's your go-to sushi restaurant in Vancouver? Uh, well, the one that I would that I go to a lot is called Kabune. It's down by uh, Kitts Beach. Um, but I think the one that I like the most is probably Tojo's, but it's more expensive than Kabune. But uh, Kabune is like more medium price, but still super high quality. And like, I like the atmosphere and stuff in there too. And the fact that it's like next to the beach is pretty sweet. What, which one exactly is that? Is that the the one by the Max Milk? I don't know where that is. It's on you, like it's on you, just right near Cornwall. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it used to be uh, next to um, the kind of more fancy place. Like, it's like a smaller sushi place, or is it? It's smallish, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you for talking about food. Um, <laughs> Anytime. I'm getting hungry because our flight is delayed, and I thought we were going to get in, and then I was going to eat something. But So, how about we eat in, in San Francisco? Um, Good food. And maybe burrito in the mission? I don't I've know. never done that. I've heard lots of people talk about doing that, but I've never done it. I mean, it was first off, you got to like burritos. Yeah, I do. Um, are there, what's your preferred, like, Mexican, like, how do you like your Mexican food? In what form? Burritos. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, I had it last uh, December, and it was amazing. By oh. far the best burrito I've had. Huh. Um, sizable delicious um i find a lot of beef burritos are really bad in vancouver yeah there aren't there is not much 
super awesome Mexican. There's like okay Mexican food, but not not nearly as good as in the states. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've also like grown to cook more Mexican and uh, barbecue in my uh, spare time, just because those are things that aren't as uh, aren't as popular in Vancouver as well as when stuff's not popular, it's kind of more expensive. Like that's kind of a weird thing. Like yeah. a burrito that's not the best burrito you've ever had can still cost you seventeen dollars, yeah. which is a bit it's absurd. Like a specialty place, yeah, that actually does Mexican food. But yeah, I make burritos also like every probably week or two we do burritos uh, what, what do you do with the tortilla prep what do you mean so what do, do, you, do you do anything to the uh, tortilla before the fun starts I put sour cream and guacamole on it okay so what I do is uh, so I get a plate that's the size of the tortilla I uh, put water on it pour the water off so it's like damp yeah put the tortilla on okay microwave for 45 seconds okay it, it, it changes your burrito game completely huh. Yeah, I guess most most like professional burrito places have like steamed uh, tortillas. I mean, I barely use a waffle iron. I'm not gonna get like a tortilla steamer. <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of what you're doing, though, isn't it? You're, just, you're making it so that the tortilla is a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives it a little bit of stretch and, and yeah. makes it easier to eat through. Um, uh, speaking of guacamole, uh, I've I've come across this uh, thing I'm doing where I do everything but the avocados ahead of time, mm-hmm. and then when it's time to party. Uh, just mix in the avocados. Huh. Uh, it works fantastic, and it saves you a lot of time at the crucial moment of pulling the nachos out and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you have a guacamole ho- or a avocado hookup? What do you mean by that? Some place where I get it? So I got a. There's a veg- vegetable store near where I live that can't sell their avocados. So they have consistently two soft avocados. Uh, on like reduce to clear eat that day huh. delicious so I don't have to deal with the paper bag stuff so I, I, I've yet to do that well huh. no we uh, we usually have avocados just around almost all the time because sometimes I just have them for lunch just eat avocado by itself so we've got them around all the time my wife just she does the shopping she always got gets them yeah avocados are delicious um, I feel somewhat cheated in my childhood that there weren't a lot of avocados no yeah, my wife is allergic to avocados my my kids and I like it, but she's she can't. She gets horrible stomach ache. Can you kiss her after having avocado? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I know like some people I know that have nut allergies, or their their significant other has nut allergies, yeah. and they can't they can't kiss them. So then, if they have nuts, then they just don't have nuts. So they're basically like sharing the uh, experience of being allergic to nuts. Yeah, no, it's not like anaphylactic. It just gives her a stomach ache. So she might get maybe a very very mild stomach ache if she ate a tiny bit of it, but. Um, so what, what else uh, is your family? Like, what are the other allergies in your family? That's about it. Uh, yeah. I can't have, a, like, a peppercorn. Peppercorn doesn't sit well with me. So even just regular black pepper, no good? Oh, no, no, no. Black pepper's fine, but, uh, like, a peppercorn s- steak or something like that. Full-on peppercorns on it? Yeah. yeah, it's just something about it I can't handle. I don't know what it is. I mean, like, I could do it, but then I don't enjoy the flavor very much, so it's kind of, like, yeah. just masochistic. That's not so bad as, uh, as allergies go. Yeah, no, I am very grateful that I don't have a lot of allergies. I don't know how... Like, a lot of teachers can't have any nuts uh, for lunch yeah. because of the, the severity of nut allergies. At my oldest son's class, they do, like, hot lunches sometimes, and sometimes they get Subway sandwiches. And now I think they can't have mustard because some kid uh, can't handle the mustard in, 
he's allergic to mustard, and so they're not allowed to have any of that. That's 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 a shame because I always associate Subway with mustard. Like yeah. the mustard smell, like the yellow in their logo, is just what I associate yeah. with them. I think they're allowed to like when we give my son lunch, we can give him mustard. But I think if they make it, sometimes they might accidentally the Subway people might accidentally put mustard in the wrong sandwich or whatever, right? So we should probably just send my kid with a little packet of mustard or whatever he could put it on himself. Um, what uh, was the hot lunch situation when you were a kid growing up? Oh, man, it was hot dog. You got hot dog. Um, Sometimes donut or... And you get that orange drink, the McDonald's orange drink. Did you get that? Uh, no, we did uh, uh, We did hot dogs, but we had chocolate milk instead of orange drink. Sometimes we get chocolate milk. Did uh, you have anybody dip hot dogs into the chocolate milk? That's disgusting. That's just that was just uh, what some kids were about when I was in elementary school. We were just trying to trying to stand out by being disgusting. It's good for them. Yeah, I, I don't remember who it was. Like I'm I'm in contact with a lot of people I went to elementary school, um, but I don't remember who. Huh? No, we had we had mostly the orange drink. Do you ever have that orange drink? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, I yeah I know the orange drink you're talking about. It as I grew up into a teenager, when we'd end up at McDonald's, I'd order um, like the largest orange juice I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and one time they had to uh, swap that out because they were out. Um, and that is just like uh, two it could be the size of two babies on top of each other. Uh, plastic bag full of orange liquid <laughs> was very strange to see. I don't think I've had orange juice from McDonald's <laughs> since then. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff is radioactive. It's like, it's crazy weird taste. And then also you can di- you can dilute it like infinitely and it still looks exactly the same. Like it still looks perfectly orange no matter how much water you add to it. It's weird stuff. I, I generally have a problem with like, like orange juice is probably my favorite drink. Like yeah. fresh squeezed orange juice. I mean, I have even on record of this. Um, as being my favorite drink, still the case. I have a really hard time like getting something better than squeezing it yourself. Do you, do you have any advice for getting good orange juice? Mm. No, no, I, I agree though. Orange juice that is fresh squeezed is the best, but yeah, I can't think of any place where I've had it where it was super amazing. Although we had an, a mimosa yesterday for, I went for brunch with my wife and kids. And, and normally that's orange juice and champagne, but she had one that was mango and pineapple. And it was better than the orange juice, which normally I don't like pineapple, but so I was surprised. Yeah, I definitely would rank pineapple third and in, in a and between orange and mango. I like mango. Yeah, I'm not usually a fan of pineapple. I I grew up as papaya oh, yeah. being the special fruit. We'd we'd have it every Christmas morning. Uh, what's your opinions on papaya? I like it a lot. Yeah, my my one of my grandfathers used to be all about papaya, so whenever I'd go over there, he would share some of his papaya with me. It's cool. It's like got weird seeds in it and stuff. It's a lot different than other fruits yeah and also you can eat it as a bowl like you use it as a bowl really yeah yeah i never thought of that before but since we were talking about avocados it's just like a big larger sweet avocado um well thanks for being on the question bus (laughs) i enjoyed the ride thank you um is there anything else you wanted to say hmm Who, who am i speaking to what kind of listeners do you have um I assume everybody that listens to the podcast knows who I am yeah. and comes from, or they've been on the podcast. I think that's probably <laughs> like 100% of the uh, people that would listen to it. Um, I assume they're into video games. Yeah. Well, if you're game developers, you should <laughs> you should go to GDC, which is what we're doing now, 
a lot of people don't. They skip it and stuff. I think it's kind of strange. Because did you see recently the uh, the two tribes? Do you know two tribes? They they made games like Toki Tori, but they've got another game coming out called Rive or Reeve, and they're shutting down after this game. And they said in their article that they feel like they were they kind of. They're, like they're old dinosaurs because they started in 2000 and they're out of touch like they don't go to conventions and things like that um, and I think that you should like in order to make sure that you're not a dinosaur and that you don't lose touch with the game industry and if you want to be a successful game developer for a long period of time you should do things like listen to podcasts and follow people on Twitter and go to GDC and go to conferences and things like that so I don't know that's just on my mind right now because we're we're on our way there and I think it's a smart thing to to do to make sure you stay in touch otherwise you might end up like I don't know if you remember when you were a kid when people had VCRs and they didn't know how to set their VCR the time on it and it would be flashing 12 all the time like my grandparents had it was always flashing 12 because they're like I don't know the technology how to do this so I just don't want to be one of those persons who when I'm older my VCR is figuratively you know flashing 12 or if you're not paying attention to the new, new technologies and new trends and things like that so I mean, I always, like, whenever I go to a conference, I want to get something out of it. So, like, I'd, I'd make sure that if you're going to something like this and spending the time and money and, and, and time away from development, that you have, like, something that you're trying to, like, some reason why you're going. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like whether that be meet new people or, or see old friends or, or stuff like that. Like, because, yeah, if you, if you don't know why you're going, mm-hmm. then it might not necessarily be. That's true. So yeah, meet, meet new people, hopefully learn a few things at some of the talks. I think the last few years it feels like the talks have been a bit better, actually. I learned more stuff last year than than in previous years, so that's cool. Last year was my first year going. Oh, yeah? Huh. Yeah, well, it was the first year that they split the Indie Game Summit room into two, which was a bit controversial because it sucks that you're missing some of the content, whereas previously it was just one room and you get to see everything. So sometimes you'd miss your friend's stuff because there was another friend also doing a talk at the same time. But I think that it makes it so that the content could be more applicable to you because it can be more specialized, right, rather than generic stuff. So I think it's, it's good. And if they're splitting it to three or more this year, that would be good. So, yeah, you'll get more actionable content, I think, that way. So Yeah, I mean, I, I like... Like, I think it's good just having multiple tracks because sometimes it's, you don't really want to go to the talk or it's not applicable there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it's I think it definitely helps. Um, but yeah, it does suck to miss stuff that you wanted to see. But I, I didn't have much like I went through and, and did all my scheduling of like what talks I wanted to see. And I didn't really have much conflict uh, no, of good. two talks I wanted to see. I mean, there was some because there's like a billion Vulcan talks. Um, so what? like. Vulcan's like a new graphic uh, API. I had no idea. Yeah, it's uh, it's made, I think. Um, like it's it's meant to try and like replace OpenGL or it's built off OpenGL. Um, huh. Works on a lot of platforms. A lot of smart people are talking about it. Um, from the talks I went to last year, it seems like it's going to require kind of a new way of rendering. Like huh. you're going to need to be more. Uh, like it's built around scalability. So you're going to need to be kind of thinking more about scalable, not just like, oh, I'm going to render everything once as pretty as I can. Right. Like you need to kind of like, I think leverage from the limited stuff I know, like leverage what you're displaying and, and maybe like, okay, well, like LEDs and effects or effects rendering at different capacities or like, like the demos I saw were all like RTSs of like, huh. oh, look at all these units and 
and scalable and different resolutions and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's yeah, I think it's built. I think the idea behind it is like OpenGL can be a bit finicky at times, but its platform accessibility is, is unbeatable. Uh, I mean, it's a two-person race, so... Um, but, so yeah, I think it's meant to be like more platforms that are performing and kind of like a... Yeah, like more more prone to like multi-threaded rendering and stuff like that, um, which isn't necessarily the applicable to every game. Um, is is Necrodancer rendered and on a different thread? Uh, no. Um, is Necrodancer a fixed frame rate? Yes. Have you been curated by the fixed frame rate people? No. Are you aware of this? No. So there's a group of people on Steam that uh, if your game is a fixed frame rate or not 60, they curate you. Not 60? Yeah. I think it's, yeah. If it's if it's not 60 or locked... Because it's 60. Uh, okay. They curate you, and they're very popular curation, so it's actually negative curation. So you, you go there to find games you don't want to buy? Yeah, so you're on the store. You're like, oh, I want to buy whatever and oh. it'll say like oh this is curated as fixed frame rate and if that's something that's important to you I see, uh, I see. they I guess don't want you to buy it so huh. uh, yeah we're we're just 60 locked to 60 but um, yeah it's, it's tricky too because it's like I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand exactly what it means mm-hmm. um, also I mean I don't know if you've got this we've got support issues of like your game's using too much battery like, could you make a low-power option? Oh, is your frame rate fixed or no? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's some things are uh, rendered at above. I mean, parts of it are fixed, and yeah. parts how, of it's rendered as fast as possible. On your machine, when it runs, how much CPU does it use, you know? I don't know. Hopefully all of them. Like, the, that's one thing. Like, building the game and I look and it only using one core, like, I'm very confused. I'm like, I want you to use everything possible all the time. True. Um, but, yeah, I think that's something that might move into the mobile industry of, like, trying to optimize for battery life. Because that, to me, is more important than performance in some cases. Oh, yeah, for sure. For, for the phone. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're traveling and stuff, it makes it makes a big difference. It's, yeah, and also, like, just being able to work without data. Like, that's something that a lot of phone apps can't do, and I appreciate when it's, like, it can cache or it can it can save a lot of stuff ahead of time, get that on Wi-Fi, it's, like, bandwidth concerns get bigger. It's, I don't know, there's lots of there's lots of different resource factors to, to take into account. Yeah, yeah, I think Necrodancer just uses, like, a couple percent of CPU, so I doubt it uses much battery on people's laptops, so it's, like... On my machine, it uses one CPU, like two or three percent of it. That's it. So, yeah, and I mean battery, like battery, like we're saving all the time. So maybe like right. that amount of file rights might affect battery, or is <laughs> it, or it, like, yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean it's something that like is a pretty low priority, like how because we're always trying to make the game more optimized, which should theoretically help battery life. Yeah. But we haven't got to the point where we're like optimizing for battery life. Yeah. For a PC game, it shouldn't matter too much. Like, how often do people play on a laptop not plugged in? I guess sometimes, but... Well, we had somebody running on a Mac. The, the, the specific person I'm thinking about, I think, was on a MacBook, and they were like, my fans are spinning up. Why? Because you're playing a game. Look, it happens, man. Yeah. Um, so you're excited for GGC? I am, yeah. Good to see everybody. We end up hanging out with Vancouver folks like you too, which is good because I don't actually see 
Vancouver people that often either, even though we're still in the same city. But you were yeah. at PlayStation Experience, right? Yeah, we were at PSX. That was fun. Um, yes. Yeah, but yeah, good to see all the folks who come from you know far-flung places, Europe and Australia and things like that. And just I always like walking around and checking out what's new at the IGF. That's what we're. That's what we're be. I mean, the the show will be over by the time you hear this. But, <laughs> yeah. um, did you, yeah, I guess you demoed last year at the... Two years ago. Yeah, not last year, the year before Necrodancer was, was in, yeah. Any any tips for showing up the IGF? I've actually done it four times, so that was my fourth game that's been nominated for the IGF, so... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's changed a bit. Back in the day, I would have said that you should always, you know, I always do. You should always make sure you have somebody at your stand and stuff, because you, you never know when an interesting contact or whatnot will come by, and we have actually had some business deals like back in the day with our first game we ended up meeting some people who we got like a $75,000 mobile deal from and that was back in 2006 like there was you know there were no mobile deals or mobile developers and stuff like that back then uh, and so and back then 75k for us was a huge amount because we were just a super small team and uh, indie games didn't really make millions of bucks or anything back then a few hundred thousand was like was awesome so uh, yeah, it makes a difference. Definitely hang out and, and make sure you're there to talk to folks. Uh, there's a chair. They give you a chair. That's but, huge. But people will steal your chair. So, like, every booth gets a chair. But you may find that when you get there, it's been moved or it's not there or whatever. So try and get there, like, a little bit before it opens to make sure that you can snag a chair back if your chair is gone. Because, yeah, it, it helps to be able to, to sit or to let your players sit. Um, I mean, sitting, we could do that all day. Like, <laughs> yeah, sitting, sitting would be no problem. Um, yeah, I, I'm hoping to meet some people that like I haven't met but know of, because because we had a at one packs, we had somebody come to the booth and talk to somebody who didn't know who they were, yeah. and that person ended up being like Ken Levine apparently, <laughs> and then he just bounced yeah, before right. any of us who knew who he was could talk to him. So it's handy having Jesse at your booth because Jesse used to do all the Necrodancer booths and stuff with me. Jesse Turner who did the art for Necrodancer because he knows. He recognizes everybody, and he knew Ken Levine. And he's like, "That's Ken Levine." I'm like, "How do you know what Ken Levine looks like?" He's like, "He just knows everybody." So yeah, I knew that with a lot of press and stuff like that. Like, I'd be kind of like keep my eyes open, trying to watch people. Um, but it's just you get busy and you get talking to people, and you can't be you can't be talking to somebody and then like looking over their head for like. Popular so who else is there? Yeah. Well, you also hopefully get to know your neighbors really well which is, was cool for me because back in 2006 which was my first IGF and first GDC I on one side of us was um, uh, Andy Schatz who does uh, Monaco but he had one of his older games back then so met him and on the other side was Matthew Wegner and Steve Swink who uh, do various games like Scale and, and um, Aztez now and so like those were like two of my earliest indie you know three of my earliest indie friends just because we were at the IGF uh, area together so you can make some good good friendships and stuff like that for sure that way and also you get to meet people like Jonathan Blow was showing Braid back then in 2006 like a programmer art version of it and stuff and I remember went and played it and I was like well, this mechanic is kind of is cool, but like the art definitely needs some some work. And then obviously got David Hellman to make it beautiful. But it's neat to see, you know, a, a window of of history like that. So we'll see 
what your neighbors will be doing in a few years and things like that. So. Yeah, you definitely have a connection of like everybody you spend any time with at these shows. Like it's just there's just something there's like a com- camaraderie about it that uh, I enjoyed. Especially going to like Pax South, I met a bunch of people, um, a lot of French Canadians, oddly, but um, uh, a bunch of people that uh, I just wouldn't have met. Yeah. And now I met. And now I'm going to GC. It's another person I can say, "Hey, let's grab a burrito." Um, but yeah, it's one of the best parts of of being in the game industry. Honestly, that you get to make so many friends like that. Because like, I for a while I was not in the game industry. After I sold my first company to Big Fish Games, I had a non-compete clause for a while. I'm not sure if it was enforceable or not, but I I thought it would be a good time to take a break anyway from games. So for a year, I didn't do that. I did some different technology stuff, and I really missed like the camaraderie because in this industry even though we are actually competing with each other kind of Necrodancers competing with dark, the dark, Darkest Dungeons somewhat yeah, uh, yeah. but we don't act like we're competitors we act like we're friends right and we help each other out so well at least at these shows <laughs> yes yeah when behind my back I'm sure uh, things are different but but in other industries people do treat competitors like competitors and they don't hang out with them and stuff like it's it's more hostile so it's it's pretty nice to be in a you know, a welcoming place like this where everybody's actually trying to help everybody else out and wants to hang out, so. Um, what was one of the early people that really helped you out, um, at least maybe in the indie space? Well, not in indie, but Simon Carlos, who's, like, part of the team that organizes GDC, but, like, back then he was the chairman of the IGF, and uh, he's done all kinds of other things, like IndieGames.com. He helped save it when it was going under and he saved Moby games and stuff like that but he gave us a contract back then when we needed a bit of money between um, jobs so he got us a job doing you know Dr. Dobbs the magazine we made like a mini game for them and we made some money that that helped us you know get through and also just you know him his work at the IGF and and whatnot helped make indie games more mainstream like back then indies were not a big deal but now indies are a big freaking deal and I think it's in part because of the IGF and other things like it like it was the first festival now there's tons of them right but it was the first one every year he put in a ton of work so yeah I think honestly without the IGF and without him I probably still wouldn't be making any games because back then our margins of success were kind of razor thin like if we didn't make that money from that contract that might have been it or if we didn't get the extra press that we got from being in the IGF a couple times that might have been it you know I might have been done so Simon Carlos is definitely huge huge influence um, sp- speaking of press is there a lot of press that come by the IGF because I know like some some press uh get passes because yeah. San Francisco is such a hub for game press do you find that there's a lot of press walking around the IGF yes definitely yeah you'll see quite a few um, whether or not they will introduce themselves or something is a different story but yeah they're they're there yeah that's my favorite my favorite type of people uh, to demo for are the people that afterwards get up and go I'm actually pressed but <laughs> I'm just not telling you I wanted the and it's like okay I hope, hope you had a good experience like yeah. try and treat you have one of the I mean I always try to treat everybody who plays the game uh, well, but after you have that, you definitely <laughs> make sure of it. Yeah, you got to try to not be a badge looker, like checking to see if they've got the press thing underneath their badge. Like, but oh, do you get like caught? I, on th- that? I think they get no, but it's also just I don't know, a little rude, I suppose. But uh, yeah, press will have a little extra banner thing underneath their badges. Yeah, I do. I do a slight um, thing with the GDC badge. I just put the name of the game. Yeah. 
and uh, works a lot well. It instead works of really your well. Name or you yeah. mean no, 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 instead of the company. Yeah, yeah, I do that too. Because yeah, people don't know Red Hook or Brace Yourself games. They know the game. Yeah, and it works. It works like hey, like I know that game. Yep. Um, that's why I. That's another reason why I. Whenever I make trailers, I don't show our company logo at the start because like nobody, nobody knows or really gives a, a shit about your company. At least, not if you've only made one game. That's for sure. Uh, but later on, maybe they'll eventually figure it out. But you know, I don't think it's a good use of the first five seconds of your trailer to show your your logo. It's better to get to the action and get people interested right away. Um, well, I, I think people will be interested by this. <laughs> Hope so. Uh, it's the longest podcast I've oh, yeah? recorded on The Question Bus. Huh. This is called The Question Bus? Actually? Yeah. Oh, I thought that you just called it the question bus because there's so many questions no I think there's a good like kind of uh, discovery moment of not telling people the name of the podcast um, <laughs> and then saying it at the end I've gotten some good reactions um, that's a good name yeah I like the name clever and uh, I know I said this before but any last words or anything you want to say <laughs> oh I don't know. I guess if it's indie devs listening, yeah, I talked about going to shows and things like that. The last thing would be just people talk about indie apocalypse and whatnot. I don't think that you should be particularly scared by that. Indie, making indie games has always been hard. I think it's still just just as tough as it ever was, but it's it's achievable. So I also really don't like the indie apocalypse talk because during the heyday, I wasn't as like I wasn't working on a game as successful as Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of weird having all this talk of like oh man if it was 2009 everybody would be golden and it's like well in 2009 it didn't necessarily go that well like yeah there were there were issues in 2009 um and uh yeah it's just it's just kind of strange i think it's just people need like like you can kind of do the circuit talking about how bad things are yeah um yeah well for me i started in 2004 and like there was nothing there was hardly any coverage of indie games and stuff like that at all. It was really hard to make a living. So now it's significantly better because Valve will actually let you put your games on on their uh, on their service, right? Whereas before it was just like direct from our site or maybe on casual portals like Big Fish and whatnot. But now it's so much easier to get eyeballs on your game if your game is good. Uh, but back then, even if your game was amazing, you might still fail. But now if your game is amazing, you will be fine. You will make money. So... I like it, I, you know, if this is Indie Apocalypse, it seems like Indie-topia compared to what I was in in, in 2004. So I've never heard the term Indie-topia. Indie-topia, it's freaking Indie-topia. Is that going around? Like, are people saying no, that? No, I made it. I invented it. You can use it. Um, yeah, the and, and also I think, like, a lot of curation is based on data. And, and I think with the amount of games coming on Steam that curation system is going to get better and better as yep. more games are on there as more reviews are made as more like all this type of stuff is there I think I think it, I think people are mo- like moving towards a better like an automated better curated system for discovering those games versus the, the people that were able to communicate like the people were able to strike a business deal or, or grease the wheels or whatever and they're the ones who get featured um, I think yeah I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the way a lot of the stores are moving towards I think it's ultimately going to be better uh, than what it was before for most people but of course if you're the one that worked on the game that didn't get any press <laughs> Yeah. Well, also people argue that like, hey, the the App Store, like the Apple App Store or Google or whatever uh, for phones, 
is kind of garbage and it's hard to find actually good games there. And so they say, that's their argument that, you know, Steam is going to become a wasteland too because they kind of open things up the way that, you know, Apple did and whatnot. But my, my counter argument to that is that I actually honestly think that people who find games or who have phones and play games on their phones, they're probably not actually like us Steam gamers. Like, you know, everybody has a phone, but not all of them are like core gamers like we are. And so, yeah, of course, the way that they curate the store on, you know, for those types of people is going to be different than the way you curate a store for us. So, like, we don't like what the App Store shows us for games, but uh, we do like, usually, what, what Steam shows us. But I think that's just because it's a different audience, you know. The people on, an, on the App Store are not necessarily core gamers. They, you got to treat it differently than Steam. Yeah, and I think it also, like, I think there's, as more games come out. Wait, is this us boarding? Uh, soon, yeah. Yeah, I think so. That might be the, uh, the way to end this. Do you have your photo identification? <laughs> I do. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the restroom before we go, so. Okay. So, uh, thanks again for the, uh, uh, multiple transferred question bus ride. <laughs> and hope we both have great GDCs. Do you want to, uh, predict ahead of time if you win, uh, an award at the award ceremony. I don't think so. We're up against such ridiculous competition, but I think you guys have a good shot. I think the more categories you're in, the better the shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You got more rolls of the dice there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hopefully RNGesus is, <laughs> is on our side for once. Yep, good luck.